Grace, I need to just praise you. Your singing tonight was exceptional. It is it has been off the charts. A lot of times we come dragging in here on a Sunday evening, but I just want to tell you, you have encouraged your pastor this evening by singing out and just singing the truths of the gospel. So let me just say thank you. I don't say that to go on and on, but you have you've, you've helped me get ready to preach here this evening. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Ruth. Let's turn together to, to the book of Ruth chapter 4. And as we come to Ruth chapter 4, we come to a conclusion to this study of this beautiful, wonderful book that points us uh, to the heart of God in Christ. And we come now to Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, and we're going to read down through verse 22 to conclude uh, the chapter. And then we'll walk through the text here this evening with some practical gleanings from this last few verses of Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And, he, and when he went, in, went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you, Naomi, a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi, verse 16, took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nishan, and Nishan begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Well, this is the word of the Lord. This evening we're looking here in the book of Ruth and the title of our message is Ruth's Reward. Ruth's Reward. We come now to Ruth chapter 4 looking at the closing part of the chapter and we see the great conclusion, the consummation to Ruth's journey of walking by faith and trusting in Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. Corey Tin Boom, who maybe you recognize that name, was uh, was in concentration camps in World War II, she and her, her sister, wrote a beautiful, po beautiful poem that goes like this, My life is but a weaving. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand, in the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. I don't know of a better poem that maybe outside of Scripture complements this closing passage of Ruth 
better than that one. If you are not familiar with the life of Corrie ten Boom, I would encourage you to take a, a moment to read her story. It's absolutely uh, beautiful. As she was changed and taught mercy and forgiveness to her captors, her Nazi soldiers who were her prison guards. Last time together, as we looked into the book of Ruth, what we found as we prepared for the Lord's table is that redemption is, is costly. Redemption always costs someone something. We looked at the life of Boaz and we saw how Boaz is a type of Christ. How as he comes to redeem Ruth, it costs Boaz greatly. And Boaz, as we found, was prepared to accept this cost. What we saw was Boaz did it how? Well, he did it willingly, chapter 3, verse 18. As Ruth comes to him in a very vulnerable situation, certainly unfamiliar to her, being guided by Naomi, we saw that she comes simply and in faith, and Boaz had no hesitation in taking in his responsibility and giving a commitment to say, I will, I will pursue this first thing in the morning. And when it comes to Ruth's redemption, we found and saw that Boaz did it willingly. Friends, I want to remind us here this evening in the same way our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ willingly redeemed us as his people. He also did it purposefully. All of Boaz's actions, as we saw, were deliberate, well-planned, thought through. He did not leave anything to happenstance or chance. He made sure everything was done by the law properly to the T. Boaz took care of everything. And again, pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. He also did it, thirdly, he did it faithfully. In all that he did that day, he was fulfilling his promise to Ruth that he gave in chapter 3, verse 13, the night before. And then fourthly, he, we saw that he did it unselfishly. Unlike the other kinsman redeemer who was closer to Ruth than even he was, who was quick to make the decision without counting the cost, Quickly, when he began to understand the full implications of not only purchasing land, and last night, last Sunday night, I was just trying to describe off the cuff, like this guy just comes across as a bumbling idiot, and one of you dear saints came up to me and gave me a renowned preacher who referred to him as, imagine if there was a story of Ruth, that that character would be played by Danny DeVito. And I just felt better about the whole thing, hearing that little bit of, you could just see that happening, right? But we're getting off track very quickly. We, we see that he did it unselfishly. He did not redeem Ruth for his own benefit. He did it out of love for her, fully counting the cost, and he considered it an honor to maintain and to carry on the heritage of Malon, uh, his, her former husband. And so every time the church gathers around the, the table of the Lord, as we prepare for the Lord's table, what we find is in, that we're reminded that the costly act of redemption that was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, points us in these same ways, that Christ did it willingly. No one twisted his arm. He did it purposefully, faithfully, and, and unselfishly, leading to hundreds upon hundreds of songs that ask the question like this, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? There's no doubt that, that, that that's what Ruth is feeling. So many hymn writers have tried to enter into different facets of the gospel, and they do beautiful ways of articulating for us less 
talented folks. We just simply get to sing the songs, right? They have, God has used them and they have followed the Lord and using those abilities to articulate uh, the gospel so that we as the church can sing it again and again and again. Now as we come to Ruth chapter 4 verse 13, what we're finding is absolute transformation. Transformation of Ruth, the transformation of Naomi, how far we have come. And the first thing that we note of transformation, just by way of introduction, is that Ruth is no longer being referred to here as Ruth the Moabitess. Chapter 1 verse 22, chapter 2 verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 21, all the Holy Spirit, the narrator here, all record for us, Ruth, making reference, Ruth the, the Moabitess. But friends, that label's long gone. A new thing is born. Boaz has married her. Boaz has redeemed her. Ruth has a new identity, a new position, a new status. And this was done before all. We see in Ruth chapter 4, verse 11, all the people who were at the gate and the elders said this, we are witnesses of this here this day. The Lord make this woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this, from this woman. What a prophecy. What a hopeful articulation of what Jehovah is going to do here. And friends, he does exactly that. And so we look now at Ruth's reward to complete our study of Ruth. Four key framing thoughts that will guide our time here tonight. Number one, the blessing of marriage. And number two, the blessing of a child. Number three, the blessing that we find here of old age. And then number four, the blessing of a godly heritage. The blessing of a godly heritage. First of all, I want you to note the blessing of marriage. And as we just kind of glean these loose fragments here at the end of chapter four, we want to walk through and notice, first of all, verse 13, the blessing of marriage. So Boaz, our text reads, took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord, Yahweh, gave her conception, and she bore a son. Here we see Boaz took Ruth to be his own, to be his wife. She was separated unto him and only his in the institution of marriage. And I just want to remind all of us, as this is no doubt a back-to-the-basics kind of message, but too important. This is our text. This is where we're at in, in the book of Ruth. We see that the institution of marriage is, is holy and precious. God himself is the one who designed marriage. And in a day and age where marriage is a second thought and, and an afterthought and just trampled upon and looked down upon, I just want to remind us all here this evening of the beauty of God's design and plan for marriage. Genesis 1.27 shows us, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Later in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, And Adam said of Eve, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Verse 25 of Genesis 2, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. 
What we find here in this blessing, this is Ruth's reward. This is the covenant of marriage. This is security. This is hope. This is a future. And this reward of covenant marriage is the promise of committed love. Chapter 3, verse 13, we remember Boaz saying, but of the other kinsman redeemer, but if he does not want to perform the duty for you, notice, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Boaz loved Ruth. It's clear. He wanted to redeem her, to protect her, to provide for her. He's smitten. He loves her not only for her reputation and loves her not only for her care for Naomi, all of those were initial things, but now Boaz has come to the point to where it is his honor and it is his privilege to marry Ruth. Secondly, a sub-thought here, it also involves a public covenant. This is not a thing that is done in a corner quickly or happenstancely. Verse 1 of chapter 4, we, we saw last week how Boaz has thought through it all. He goes to the town square. He goes to the gate. He goes to the elders, verse 2, and he lines up ten men of the elders of the city. He doesn't know how this is going to go, but if this goes according to the way he can design it and plan it, everything will happen and there will be a, a wedding today. Verse 9 of chapter 4, he tells the elders of Boaz of, of, of the city, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, that I bought all that was Kilian's and Malan's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malan, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. Notice here, you are witnesses here this day. What is this telling us? Are we just reciting scripture here? No, absolutely no. We're looking at the authority of scripture that shows us that this marriage covenant is something to be done, not in a corner, but this is something to be celebrated. This is something to be done publicly. The love, the commitment, and the covenant that a couple makes to each other and to God needs to be witnessed needs to be affirmed in our modern-day New Covenant context by the local congregation church of, of believers. It's our joy, it's our delight to support young men and women as they come together to get, to get married. As we'll come back to this at the end, it's a joy to be a witness. One of the greatest privileges of our lives is when the Lord allows us to be in a certain time and place, to serve in a role of faithfulness, to simply to be here on a Lord's Day evening as we were last Sunday evening so that we can be a witness to those joining the church fellowship, so that we can extend the right hand of fellowship, so that we can see what the Lord is doing and, and say this is wonderful and beautiful in our eyes. What a beautiful thing, what a wonderful thing it is for us to be able to support and encourage as these elders in the city did that day this beautiful marriage between Boaz and Ruth. This is Ruth's reward, the blessing of marriage. And then notice also, it also involves private consummation, the act of marriage, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave conception, and she bore a son. Friends, this is the act of marriage. This is beautiful. This is God's design. This is wonderful. This is glorious in God's sight. And as I was just preparing and thinking about how much am I going to say here, I just got to thinking, you know, it shouldn't be the only time we talk about sexual relations or the act of marriage. It should not be only in the sense of forbidding 
We, we should model before the future generations of the church a beautiful, faithful, covenantal love. And what I mean by that is in how we talk about it, how we celebrate it, God's design, God's idea. As my father told me many years ago, this is God's gift to the married couple. This is God's wedding gift. Well, what we find in Scripture is that God is the author of marriage. God is the designer of marriage. And this is part of Ruth's reward. What began as a promise of committed love proceeded to be a public covenant at the gate, but then left the public square to be consummated privately between the man and his wife. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and these two became one, speaking of Adam and Eve, and what we find here the same for Boaz and Ruth. What we have is the beautiful picture of what marriage is. It's the forming of a new thing. A, one per, a man from a, a one line and a woman from another line come together to form a new home, a new establishment for God's glory to raise up a line if God should so choose to bless. Here we find that the scriptures are not silent about covenant, private, marital love. Proverbs chapter 5 reminds us that this gift is only for those within the bonds of marriage. And I'm trying to be careful. I hope you'll appreciate that here this evening. But Proverbs chapter 5 gives the instructions to the young man to delight in the wife of his, his youth. And so within the context of marriage, it's beautiful, it's bonding, it's strengthening. It is a fire to be kindled, and outside of the bonds of marriage, it is a fire that can destroy, can burn to the ground. So number one, the blessing of marriage. We see Boaz and Ruth coming together to enjoy this beautiful gift of God. Secondly, we see the blessing of a child. And let me just go back one more time, go back up and say, Church, let us be found faithful in bodying, modeling, but I want to say also in how we speak. On some of these, I want to just kind of give us an exhortation to be careful how we talk about these things. What I mean is jokes, off-the-cuff types of things, how we talk about marriage. I'll just say it like this. If you're one of these guys or people, when, and please don't hear, yeah, whatever. If, if, if you just joke around all the time, that's great. But as much as you joke around and tell husband and wife jokes and all, I'm assuming, you know, within obviously healthy and within the bounds of, of right, righteousness, be found as often as you can encouraging the bonds of marriage as well. Don't let the only time you ever mention it be a joke or an off-putting or a put-down, that type of thing. And that leads us to the second thing, the blessing of a child. And I'll say the same thing here. What is a part of Ruth's reward? Well, it's the blessing of children. In verse 13, so the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. We see that the Holy Spirit of God, I regularly stand amazed at the economy of words and how the Holy Spirit can say so much in so little uh, of words. Here, the, there's so much packed into this phrase. The Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. So this is the product of the marriage covenant, children. If the Lord so allows, and the Lord is gracious, the Lord comes upon this act of the marriage and gives the gift of children. Notice how I phrase that. The gift of children. Church, we must reclaim this. Not only the act of marriage leading to the gift of children, but the language of this. The language of this. Do we see children as a gift? As a young family, raising our family and others I know in this, in this modern age, I would just tell you this, the ratio's got to be 99 to 1 
of only jokes. Only jokes. And I can laugh with the best of them. I can, I can cut up and give it right back as well. But let me just, let's just kind of come back to the biblical worldview. How do we view children? Here, this is the blessing of the marriage covenant. Do we see it that way? Are we reminded of this? Do we talk like this? Do we affirm? Is this our goals? Is this our ambition? Is this what we're communicating as a church, as parents to children, as grandparents to grandchildren, preparing, talking? I can't wait. Can't wait to see what the Lord will do. Can't wait to see how the Lord will use you. And I mean appropriately. I don't mean the annoying, nagging type of thing. Psalm 127, verse 3, the Bible makes clear. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. They're not a mistake. They're not an accident. They're not a joke. They're not all the things we could come up with. Children are a heritage from the Lord. They're, the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like men, do you see your children like this? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Do you see your children like arrows? I hope so. And if you've gotten off track, then reframe your thinking. Hear the word of the Lord. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. We don't hear much about that. And we're not going to spend time talking about numbers and any of that thing at all. We're just hearing the word of the Lord. Happy is the man whose, whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Here's the problem. The problem in the modern church is that children are not viewed like this. And so that's why we need, I need to prepare a sermon where I just preach this text right here. And we camp here a while, on a Sunday morning, not on a Sunday night, on a Sunday morning. And this is too important. I've been reminded of that. The problem is that the attitude reflected in the church today among, among modern day Christianity does not reflect the scriptures, the biblical worldview, which says children are a gift from God. And churches should desire them. Christians should desire them, love them, protect them, and do like what we are doing, Grace Church, and should continue to do. Budgeting, preparing, ministry, cleaning the, uh, keeping the crib and cleaning the crib, and, so, and, and knowing that there is much increase by the strength of the ox. The children are the heritage of the Lord. Now back to our text. What we find here is not only is this the gift of the blessing for Ruth, this is the blessing of the Lord. Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, Then the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, notice here, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son. You say, now what's your point? Here's the point. The Lord gave this child, and the Lord gives every child. What we need to understand is that I think sometimes this is just the facts of life. And we're so familiar with the facts of life, we forget, we forget all these things. The way we handle it, the way we talk about it, to birds and the bees and all that type of thing. I just want to remind all of us here this evening that God opens and closes the womb. It's not judgment. It's not blessing uh, exclusively to say, make assessments by the fruit of those types of things. Just understand this. Listen. God is the one who opens and closes the womb. The key here is that the Lord gave this child. In fact, I would remind all of us previously in Ruth's marriage to Malin, Ruth uh, chapter 1, verse 4, the text tells us that, that she was married to him for 10 years, and the Lord had not opened her womb up until that, that point of the marriage. Here, the Holy Spirit wants us to know that he has given this gift to Ruth. This is his plan. 
This is his providence for such a time as this, for now, in her marriage to Boaz. So we take away, our takeaway is simply this. Life begins at conception. The Lord opens and closes the womb. All of this is a beautiful blessing of the Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 5 says this, As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Let's stand humble before the scriptures this evening and just say, you know what, we, we, we know generically, but we don't know these things. Stand amazed at our sovereign God who forms life in the womb, one of the greatest, most beautiful mysteries of creation. The word of the Lord makes very clear in a number of passages of Scripture, I'll just give two, that, that life begins at conception. And church, as much as I think we know we affirm this, I don't think we can say this too much. Not in this day and age. We can't assume anything. We can't assume that everybody's on the same page. And so I'll just remind all of us here tonight, life begins at conception. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Paul writes of his testimony, Galatians 1 verse 15. There's plenty of passages. John the Baptist, the birth of Christ, just to give some others. Paul writes, Galatians 1.15, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So our key here is that life begins at conception, and all conceptions are of the Lord. He opens, He closes the womb. If all conceptions are of God, then therefore all of life is sacred before God. And friends, let's remind ourselves of this. Let's remind ourselves that what is passed in this land is abortion, is murder. It is absolute genocide. And it is protected by laws, it is protected by politicians. Let's remind ourselves of this blessing of marriage, the fruit of marriage. And let's call upon anyone we know to repent if they are in this sin and have not repented of the sin. And let's remind anyone we know of the gospel that, that, that can be received and the power of God's grace if they have made this decision in the past. But to come and bow the knee and repent. News was made this past week or last, uh, maybe the week before last of a man in London, England who is grieved of his sin, has been guilty of supporting this sin in the past in his own relationship with a girlfriend or a wife. I, I can't remember the details. And he regrets it. And so regularly he finds his place coming outside the, the institution where that performed the murder of the child, and he just stops and prays. He prays for the people who go there. He prays and asks God for forgiveness. He prays, and I don't know what all he prays, but recently he was arrested for silent prayer. He was arrested for silent prayer, for standing outside and praying and beseeching the God of heaven. That's all I know. Don't ask me any more details about it. Does he truly know the Lord? I'm just telling you, he got arrested for praying. Listen, this is, the, this is the time that we live in. This is the land that we live in. This man went on to say, I fought for England. I have merits. I have rewards. And I fought for the freedom and the right to do what I'm doing. How dare you arrest me for simply praying? I look no different than a... Someone waiting for an Uber car, bringing fast food, standing here, bowing my head. You have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm getting off track. The, the point is this. Here we stand, we can do no other. And may the Lord help us to stand upon the authority of Scripture joyfully. You know, sometimes I, I preach, the preacher preaches in the pulpit, but what I'm not saying is that you got to go forth in Monday and, yeah, 
you know. Now, if it involves preaching, absolutely. We're not ashamed of preaching. But I'm not saying your spirit is like mine right here. Let's just remind everyone, thus says the Lord. And let's do it joyfully. Let's do it absolutely that with a blessing for what it is. So much more. So much more we could say. That. But this is the blessing of Ruth. This is the blessing of the Lord upon her and her marriage to Boaz. Thirdly, we see the blessing of old age. The blessing of old age. Our society does not look upon old age as a blessing. We, we are addicted to youth. We're addicted to youthfulness. We are addicted to just all kinds of things. And let me just simply say, listen, there is a blessing of old age. Verse 14, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life. Notice here, and a beautiful, glorious thing, and a nourisher of you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid, her, laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And also the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, this is a son, or there is a son born to Naomi. This is the blessing of old age. This is the blessing of Ruth. Here we're shifting the focus and the attention slightly to Naomi, but this blessing extends to both. In the same way that this is a blessing to Naomi, it is a, it is a foretelling of the beauty of what awaits Ruth in her old age. These verses speak of Obed, not Boaz, and what Obed would be to Naomi. All the blessings of the women of both Bethlehem, they come and they're witnesses. It is their delight to minister to Naomi at this time and to remind her of God's covenant faithfulness to her, not just in her youth, but in her old age. And I just want to remind all of us here tonight that God is the God, not just of the youth, but He's the God of the elderly. He's the God. He's the author of life. He, he, life begins at conception and life is precious all the way to the last breath. I wasn't necessarily intending on this message being all about life, but that, that's what we have here. That's what we see. These ladies rise to the occasion. They're delighted. They stand in awe. They've seen the full chronicling of Naomi being a part of the leading family of Bethlehem Ephrathah. She goes out with Elilamech, and they come back, and she's bitter and broken and, and just poor and destitute. And now she's raised up again with life and encouragement and gospel hope. And these women stand witness, as well as many others, encouraging, strengthening Naomi in the things of the Lord. It's a reminder to us that the role that encouragement plays in our discipleship ministries to come alongside one another and encourage one another and witness and strengthen the hands of one another, the faith of one another. Friends, we should always be thankful for redemption. And that's what these women do, verse 14. They remind Naomi that Obed would be to her a kinsman, a restorer of life, verse 14. Verse 15, a nourisher. Just a reminder, verse 15, that God has provided. That God has not abandoned her. God will strengthen her and guide her all the way home. Church family, let me just remind us, keep your heart warmed by the gospel fire of what Christ has done for you. What keeps us from getting jaded and sharp and crotchety and, and edgy? It's the gospel. It's humbling. Reminding us 
that we are all like that Canaanite woman that we saw this morning outside the camp, that Christ has come and he's bore our sins upon himself, upon that cross for us, that he's redeemed us for God. Here, Naomi is, has this gospel hope looking forward to, to what God will do. We have that same gospel hope looking backwards at what God has done. And then also looking forward at what he will do again in the coming resurrection. Friends, always be grateful that the Lord has saved you and me. Be grateful that we have a kinsman, not named Obed, but a kinsman named the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a restorer of our lives. He is a nourisher. I love that line in the song, I am not my own. There is nothing broken that he cannot repair. How true that is, isn't it? In the gospel. How do, we, how do we stay soft? How do we stay sweet? How do we stay in all these things in our old age? Well, I will tell you one thing. It's don't be focused upon yourself. As you grow older in old age, keep asking the question, what can I do for you, Jesus? Be like Caleb that says, uh, I want that mountain, whatever that mountain for you may be. Ask the Lord to give you a vision of what he has for you in this next chapter in your life. But just whatever you do, do not waste it. And I would just say practically sing the songs of the gospel. Fanny Crosby, you know the blind hymn writer, she said it like this, Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. His child, and forever I am. What do we do at the end of that line? Well, we go to the next one. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of Him all the day long. I sing, notice here, for I cannot be silent. Ruth, Naomi, do you realize what God has done for you? I sing, for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. What do we do at the end of that one? We go to verse 3. I know I shall see his beauty, the king in whose law and delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps. Notice here, and gives me songs in the night. Dear friend, older saint, do you find sleep eluding you? Ask the Lord to give you songs in the night. Ask him to help you to remember his faithfulness and his hesed, his steadfast love for you in the dark nights when it seems as if the morning will not come. I want to, before we move on from this point, remind us all that there is a role for all to play. One thing I love about our beautiful church is that we are unashamedly an intergenerational church. What do I mean by that? Well, that's a buzz term that church gurus come up with as they are prone to do. But intergenerational, it just simply describes what a, should be a normal church. We're not a church plant, not that we're against church plants, that we were at one point in time. But we're not a church plant that's marketing itself simply to college students or marketing itself simply to a certain demographic. No, we preach the gospel. We preach Christ and him crucified. If you come here for any other thing than the gospel, you will be disappointed. I will let you down. Others will let you down. If you come for just a specific slither of a doctrinal line alone, you will be disappointed. If you come for just simply a friend only, you will be disappointed. We will let you down. But if you come for the gospel of Jesus Christ, friend, there's a well that will never run dry. And you've come for the right thing. And we will preach by God's grace Christ and him crucified. And what happens when we do that is that God builds his church. And he builds it in a way that we can't. In a way that we can't manufacture. In a way that we can't prescribe. In a way that if we did, it would just blow up in our faces if we tried to go against God's purposes and plan for our church. But here's my point. 
there's a role for all to play. And in this blessing of growing old in Christ, I just want to encourage our church, there is a role for you to play. As we see these elderly, the elders, the men, bearing witness to the marriage, as we see these elderly ladies coming alongside Naomi and Ruth, it's just a reminder that the ministry of encouragement never uh, gets old. There's no one who suffers from too much encouragement. There's no one who cannot use a word, as Proverbs describes it, as well-spoken as apples of gold and pictures of silver. So much more we could say this, but... Friends, we need you. There's not one person here at this church that, that we don't need. Well, we've seen the blessing of marriage as a part of Ruth's reward. Secondly, we've seen the blessing of a child and, in general, the biblical worldview, the blessing of children. We've been looking, number three, the blessing of old, old age. And then lastly, we see the blessings of a godly heritage. The blessings of a godly heritage. And it's here in verse 17 through the end of the chapter, verse 17 through 22, that we begin to see just exactly what God is doing. And as Paul Harvey would say, the, the rest of the story. Verse 17, and they called his name, this child of the Lord, they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. And Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Amminadab, and Amminadab begot Nishan, and Nishan begat Nishan, I lost my place here, give me one second. Nishan begat Salmon, and Salmon, verse 21, begat Boaz. Boaz begot Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. Here we see, as we begin to trace the providential hand of God, just what it is that God is doing. Well, you say, wait a second, why didn't we know this before? Well, because the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children. What we see here is that God has been working in unusual ways. His ways are not our ways. Beginning with Rahab, the mother of Boaz, we begin to see that he, he has been calling out among the nations those that will become a part of his Bride. They become grafted in. They become a part of a new thing, a part of the line of his people and ultimately the Messiah. In fact, we see that God does this more than once. Here we see that he delights in doing that here. In fact, go with me over to Matthew chapter 1. And we see that as we begin to see this genealogy, that this is not just any genealogy. What we find, if you remember our very first sermon, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 1, that Matthew wants to show the Jewish people that, that Jesus is th theirs. Jesus is their Messiah. That Jesus is their King. And so it's why he begins with the genealogy. And I want to read this. It's not often we read genealogies, but I want you to see if you recognize any of these names again. We just read Ruth chapter 1. If you want to flip back, you will see that. But notice there with me how Matthew begins in Ruth chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew says this, This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Key phrase there. We saw that this morning. The Canaanite woman said, Jesus, son of David, you are the Messiah. Well, here, that's what Matthew's wanting us to know. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. 
Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez, recognize that name, and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Just read these. Ram begot Aminadab, Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz, notice here, by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. Which king? That king. The David of the Old Testament. David the king who begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Now jump with me over to verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham, or excuse me, going back to verse 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. What we have here is what we saw at the very beginning of the book of Ruth. To understand Ruth, you've got to understand the book of Judges. And when you're reading through the book of Judges, it's just dark and gross and heinous. There is no God. Every man in the sense, I'm not saying there is no God. Every man is acting like there is no God. They're acting like there is no God. Every man is doing that which is right in their own eyes. And it's all in all of this sin, all of this depravity, and all of this dysfunction that the Holy Spirit of God, that God preserves for us, just one account. Happens to be a pretty important account, by the way. But he zooms in from his omniscient throne. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord reigns in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. He zooms in by the Holy Spirit. He zooms in into the, to the weeds to help us to see a woman in the field known as Ruth. Is God doing anything in the darkest of times? And what the Holy Spirit wants us to know, what God wants us to know is yes. God reigns. God is sovereign. What this tells us is that no man is an island unto themselves. God is working in me. He's working in you. He's working in us. He's working in this generation. And he's working in future generations. But he's bringing all things to his own purposes and to an ultimate gospel climax. And so what we see here is to never underestimate the providential plan and wisdom of God. What we find here is that God in His mercy and grace brings outsiders into His redemption story. God brings outsiders multiple times, multiple women, not only into, like He redeems them, but brings them into the redemptive story so that they can be a part of the coming of the ultimate Redeemer and thereby showing us a portrait of the gospel. In conclusion, turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. And this beautiful picture of redemption in Christ, Ruth points us to, is that God is a redeemer. God is our redeemer. Our God is redemptive. It is his nature to redeem. Luke 19, verse 10, to come, he has sent his son to seek and to save that which was lost. So I want to exhort you and encourage you in the gospel this evening as we conclude by looking at Ephesians chapter 2. We see this beautiful story of Ruth Coming to an end, and Paul describes it very well as he rehearses the gospel in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul here reminding the church to not forget, 
but to remember who you are, where God has brought you, what God has done for you. So Paul says to the church, he says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, like Rahab, like Ruth, like the Canaanite woman that we saw this morning. You were once like that, Paul says, being strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So what is the result? Well, like Ruth, peace. What does reconciliation bring? It brings peace between us and a holy God. The only thing we bring to God is no merit. As R.C. Sproul describes, the only thing we bring before God is demerit. The only thing you bring before a holy God is that which he judges you for. Holy, holy, holy is he. What are we? Well, we're not holy, holy, holy. The only thing we have to plead is what we saw the woman plead for this morning. I was beating myself up on the way home. As preachers, if you've ever preached, you've done it. I should have said this. I should have said that. One of the beautiful portraits, words in the text is what she says, just have mercy. She has no merit to come to Jesus on anything. And she doesn't try to. She just says, Lord, have mercy. Friends, that's all we have. Mercy. Mercy. Lord, have mercy upon me. Well, that's what we do. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one. He has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in the body, in one body, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were once afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Again, the result is not only peace and reconciliation to God, but now the result is Christ, our steadfast rock. Verse 19, he is our cornerstone. Now therefore, because of this gospel hope, because of what God has been doing from the very beginning, the promise of the gospel to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, because of what he's been promising and what he's been fulfilling, because what if he has decreed and what he is unpacking, and what he's purchasing and what he's accomplishing. Therefore, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Well, we're not Ruth, we're not Boaz, but we are made in the image of God. And God is at work. He's at work in your marriage. He's at work in your story. And I'll just tell you this, the story isn't written yet. God is still doing things. Don't lose hope. Continue to seek his face. Continue to preach the gospel. Continue to pray for the lost. 
May the Lord help us to be persistent with this gospel hope that we saw in the woman in Matthew chapter 15 this morning and the hope of the gospel that we see here in the consummation of Ruth and Boaz's marriage. And may the Lord just strengthen his church however he may be pleased to do so. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we leave the Lord's house this, this evening full by your grace. Lord, it is good for us to be here. It is good for us to strengthen each other. And now as we leave this place, Lord, we pray that we would scatter to be on mission for you as you lead us by your spirit this week, wherever we may go. Pray that you would be with your church and that you would build your church. Father, from the youngest here to the oldest, that we would have a sense of purpose and mission. Lord, that we would value the institution of marriage, the sanctity of life. Lord, in all of its forms, Lord, we pray that we would be those that not only like to have a fun, no doubt, at times, but be found as those who encourage all of these things. Those who remind ourselves, preach to ourselves, encourage one another what your word says about all of these things as we've seen in Ruth's reward. Father, you are so good to us. We behold the goodness of God that you pour out blessing upon blessing to us. Psalm 103, you daily load us with benefits. Lord, we are crushed by the goodness of God. Your word makes clear that you store up goodness and treasures in darkness for your people. You store up and delight to pour out treasures upon your people of grace and mercy and strength. And we plead for that even now this evening as we leave this place. It's in the precious name of Christ we pray. Amen.